Good morning, Lighthouse. Uh, and for those of you who are joining us, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse Community Church, and I'm so grateful that you are with us. And in just a minute, we're going to go ahead and begin fixing our hearts on God, and we're going to do that through worship. Um, I will not be on stage, however. The first thing that my family said when I got home last week was, it was a great service, but you're really distracting with worship. So I'm not going to be worshiping in front of you so that I can worship wholeheartedly, and I would encourage you to do so as well. Since you're at home, since you're only with your family or you're alone and you have nobody else staring at you, just worship God right now. Before we do that, um, I want to go ahead and pray for us. And I'm going to use a prayer that for hopefully most of us now has become pretty familiar because we have been slowly working our way through it as a devotional over the course of this week. So I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer if you'd bow your heads with me. Our Father in heaven, you are holy, holy, holy. You stand above the fray of everything that we're currently walking through, all of these kind of crazy times. You stand above it. You're not overcome by it. But as our Father, you choose to enter into it with us. And so we pray, Father, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our nation, in our world, in our homes, and in our church community, just as it is in heaven. Father God, we pray that you would give us today our nourishment, our daily bread. And sometimes that looks like Food, sometimes that's looking like toilet paper, but right now that's just looking like your presence with us. So give us our daily bread and we pray, Father, that you would forgive us for our, our, our mistakes, for our debts, just as we forgive others that, for, uh, that have debts against us. And we pray that you would not lead us into temptation. You would protect us from it and protect us from the evil one. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way. Father God, we love you and we're so grateful we get to be called your kids. And Jesus, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Let's worship together. Well, good morning again, and for those of you who, in typical Lighthouse fashion, have joined us a little bit late, we are grateful that you made it. Um, And today we are going to be uh, opening up God's Word in Acts chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and turn there with me. While you're turning there, I just want to let you know about a couple of things. It is, this has been a really fun week, all things considered. It's been really fun to begin to see some of the beauty that's come out of the ashes of this season where we've had to shut everything down. I started compiling a list of ways that I've seen God working in the midst of it. Things like, I'm so grateful for the fact that I got to play a board game with my kids this week. It's been years since we've done that. Um, And as much as it's been difficult to learn how to be a homeschool parent, I've loved getting to see my kids' work ethic in the midst of that. I'm really proud of them right now. Um, I I love the fact that my wife has finally learned how to use less toilet paper. It is wonderful. And like, you know, little small victories. Kathy, I love you. Happy birthday. Sorry. Uh, I just let everybody know. Um, (laughs) I, I love the fact that I got a call from Darlene Dickey. And she said, I don't know who did it. And it certainly wasn't me, but somebody just left a package of toilet paper and a package of uh, paper towels on my doorstep. And I love the way that people are beginning to find small, creative ways to love their neighbors without breaking that six foot 
barrier. I love the silver linings. And in fact, as you guys are, you know, online right now, even chiming in, because I know that YouTube allows us to have kind of an ongoing chat that we don't normally get when we're in person, which is another silver lining. Um, I would love for you to maybe throw out some ways that you've seen silver linings in the midst of this season. One of the things I love is that we have people who are part of our church family that have been kind of scattered to the winds, like the Barones and um, others that are, you know, in Hawaii and, and elsewhere that are joining us in here today that could not otherwise be with us for our worship service because geographically you just can't. We love that you're here. And I just want to say hello, good morning. We know you're here and we're grateful for it. Um, so a couple of ways that we are trying to maintain connection in a time where it's really easy to be disconnected. One of those ways is I am doing a kind of a a touch at least every other day or so. This last week, that touch was through a devotional I was writing on the Lord's Prayer. This week, I'm planning on jumping into Psalm 23. It's the Lord, you know, it is one of the most beautiful uh, cries of somebody declaring his dependence on his shepherd. So if you have not been getting those emails, it's simply because we don't have your email address and we need it in order to be able to send it to you. So if you'd like to get that, you can either put your email address and, you know, don't do it this way. Let's, let's go ahead and just say email to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com, pastor at lighthousecommunity. Send us your email address and your name, and we'll make sure you begin getting that throughout the week. Another way that we're remaining connected is we've been doing Zoom meetings. A lot of our life groups have started going to that online platform of Zoom. If your life group has not yet done so, I would encourage you to shoot an email or make a phone call to your life group leader and kind of say, I want to meet. Can we just connect? Our life group got to do it on Wednesday night. And I got to tell you, it was wonderful. After like the first five minutes of awkwardness where everybody's trying to get everything figured out, It felt like we were in the room together and we had a wonderful conversation. So those are a few of the really wonderful things that are happening in the midst of this season. Today, we're going to dive into the book of Acts. This will actually be our last uh, conversation in Acts before we break and take a pause from it so that we can get ready for Easter. Can you believe that Easter's two weeks away? It's kind of ridiculous to me that it snuck up this quickly. Um, And it's looking like... uh, you know, simply because we don't know, it's looking like we may have Easter in this format where we're doing it streaming live. And so again, I want to thank all of the people that have made that a possibility, Glenn and Ben um, and, and, you know, Mark, you guys have been unbelievable in using your gifts and your talents. And so we're really grateful for that. Um, Toward that end, next week is Palm Sunday, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a very family-friendly message, one that our kids can be a part of. But today, we are going to dive into the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 13. Before I read just a few verses from it, I want to remind you of the context of what we've been talking about. We're going to be talking about two guys, Barnabas and Paul. And the last time we saw these two guys, they had been in the church of Antioch, which is outside of the Judean area, this little fledgling church that was growing up in a Gentile territory. And there were leaders in that church and they recognized that there was going to be a huge famine. Similar to what the COVID virus is doing to us, they recognized this famine was going to affect the entire land. And so they said, hey, we want to take up a collection rather than kind of taking all that they had and hoarding it and holding on to it so that they knew that they would be safe for years and years. They said, hey, we have more than we need right now. And we recognize that there are others who don't. So what we're going to do is we're going to take up a collection. We're going to send it down to Jerusalem and the church leaders down there can disseminate it 
to the people who have needs in Jerusalem and around it. And so that's just what they had done. And now as we pick up the story, Barnabas and Paul have returned to the church in Antioch. And we're going to read this in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church of Antioch, There were prophets and teachers. Now, they're going to give us a a list of the church leaders, those who were gifted in speaking the words of God and just saying, I feel like the the Lord has a word for us right now. And those who could open God's word and, and, and kind of help explain the context. And there were prophets and teachers, and now they give us a list of the, the primary leaders of this church. There was Barnabas. There was Simeon called Niger. There was Lucius of Cyrene. There was Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Here's a guy who actually was raised with the person who's ruling over the whole region. And then finally, there was Saul, who we also know as Paul. And while this group of people were worshiping the Lord and fasting as they were spending time fixing their eyes on God, that's what worship is. It's a conversation. It's a way of just reorienting ourselves with our eyes on him as they were worshiping him and they were fasting. They were separating themselves from the regular things that they ate in order to tangibly remind themselves to enter back into worship. As they were doing these things, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. And so, after they had fasted and prayed, this early church in Antioch placed their hands on them. Not like, not like fists. They placed their hands on them in blessing. They commissioned them to what the Holy Spirit was calling them to do. And then they sent them off. We're going to stop there. That's as far as we're going to go because there's plenty of us, plenty for us to kind of dig into. And the first thing I want us to recognize, and I'm kind of amazed by it, is just how seriously the early church in Antioch took their devotion to God. Because let's not forget the fact that Barnabas and Saul were two of the primary leaders of this little church. They did so much heavy lifting. And yet, When the Holy Spirit says these two, I'm calling them to go and spread the gospel to other Gentile regions. They didn't hesitate to open their palms, place them on them, commission them and send them out. And in the same way, I just can't help but think about our little church, which is probably not a whole lot bigger than the church in Antioch. And I can't help but wonder, are we the kind of church who is as open handed with you as they were? Because remember, we've been blessed. We have been blessed in so many stinking ways. We're blessed by the fact that given this downturn, we actually have some money in the bank to help us weather this storm. We have people who continue to give faithfully to it, and I'm really grateful for those of you who do. Um, We have a building that although you don't get to be in it today, I mean, we own this outright, so we get to bless others in our community with it and other churches. Um, And... And yet the number one thing, our greatest, most valuable commodity that that we have, that God has placed in our hands as a church, is you. You are the most valuable, most important thing that God has entrusted to us. And what we are reminded of is the fact that we are not called to hoard our blessing, to hold on to it, but to be open-handed with it, to be generous with it. And if God wants to use somebody to advance his kingdom purposes elsewhere, like he did with Barnabas and Saul, then who are we to stand in the way of that? Well, just this week, I began thinking 
through a list of, of people that God has whispered in their ear, hey, it's time, let's go. I made a really short one, and this is in no way comprehensive. But I, I think of people like Jim and Wendy Bruff, who God said, hey, it's time to go over and care for your mom in Hawaii. Jim and Wendy, I know you're watching. I love you guys very, very much. Uh, I think of Gary and Sherry Rorden. Love them. Clint and M- Emily Kalkin. Donna Brennan. Danielle and Chris Shergi. Danielle's now the, the family's pastor at a church down the street and just a blessing to that community. Greg and Lisa Barone. Hi, Barones. I know you're on this morning as well. Uh, who are leading a house church uh, in their home in Houston. Ray and Sherry Markley, who when we began talking earlier this year about being invested in your sphere of influence, they realized, you know, for the last 10 years, we have been driving half an hour to come to church. And if we're really going to take seriously investing in the community that God has planted us in, then why would we ask somebody to drive half an hour outside of it to go to church? And so they said, you know, we love Lighthouse. We are for Lighthouse, but we're going to go and be in our community so that we truly can minister to our community. And I so respect that decision. I think of Harold and Sarah Schlater, Jean and Michelle Getz, who are out in Idaho. We love you. Uh, we hope that people haven't figured out that you're from California because they might send you back, which we wouldn't be a, have a problem with, but we love you and we miss you tremendously, but we know that God is using you out there. And then finally, but certainly not least, Lee and Mary Harrison, who for 15 years before I was here, carried the weight of this church. Lee was the lead pastor. His wife, Mary, was very much a partner in ministry to him. And we all benefit from the investment and time of them and so many other people who were invested, who are and continue to be a part of our church family, but whom at one point the Holy Spirit said, hey, come with me. And they were obedient. And their being obedient cost them something. It cost them the the comfort of the regular rhythm of this is how I do church. It cost them uh, a place where everybody knew their name. And where they had a very real, real role. It cost them that. And yet it would have cost them more to resist the Holy Spirit. To resist God and say no. And the beauty is knowing where God has led them. And how God has used them. Each and every one of these people. I think of how God continues to use them. He didn't sideline them. But even more than that. I think of how we as a church have been blessed. By taking the posture of being open handed. With our greatest resource. Because every single one of those individuals and others who have left Lighthouse because God called them elsewhere, those hurt because we love you. You're a part of our family, and it's never easy when family goes. We love doing life with you. And many of you have been carrying very heavy parts of the ministry of Lighthouse Church. And so that costs us something. But I think about the ways that your obedience to go has actually created space for others to step up into ministry. I think of, for instance, Gary Rorden, who used to lead our welcome team. And when Gary stepped out of that role, this, this young guy named Charlie stepped into it. And quite honestly, he has grown tremendously and he has, he has become such an amazing leader in that role. And and even Lee needing to step out of the way so that I had space to step in. Many of us that call Lighthouse home and are continuing to be a part of it today have a place on the field because others have given us space to step into it because they've been obedient to answer the call of God to go. 
And so the first thing I want to say to you this morning, as you're watching from your homes or your cars or your cell phones or wherever you happen to be, is at some point the Holy Spirit may tap you on the shoulder and he might say, hey, it's time, follow me. And if he does that, I pray that you will have the courage to follow his lead wherever he leads. And I pray that we will be a church that will hold you loosely, not because you're not valuable to us, but because we love you and we trust our God so much that we're willing to be obedient, just like the early church in Antioch was, to send their best out. Because as we're going to see when we finally get back into Acts later on, their obedience to be open-handed, to be generous, multiplied the ministry that happened. So that's the first thing. But this raises a really important question that I want to grapple with today. And this question has to do with calling, right? Because I've actually found myself in conversations with at least three different people over the last month or so about calling. Specifically, what is God calling me to do? And the first thing I want to say when I talk about calling, or some of you might think about it as vocation, which really is just taken from the Latin word for call. So we're talking about the same thing. But when we talk about calling, it presupposes that there is a caller, right? That word calling suggests or implies that there is someone who is doing the calling. And we know that all throughout scripture and in our own lives, the only one who has the right and the ability to call us is God. Because not only does he call us, but he has the ability to lead us through whatever it is he's calling us to. So God calls us. We see that with Paul and Barnabas. We see that with um, the disciples, right? Jesus saying, hey, come, follow me. We see that with Moses in the wilderness as he's tending his father Jethro's flocks. And, and God shows up in a burning bush and says, hey, come, follow me. We see that in King David, and we're going to talk about it a lot this week as we do Psalm 23, how God called David to something far beyond what he could have ever imagined, and God walked with him through it. So the first thing that we want to recognize is God is the one who does the calling, but now this brings us to the million-dollar question. How do I discern what God is calling me to? How do I know what I'm supposed to invest myself in? And many of you who have gone have had to grapple with that before you went. And so today, what I want to do is I want to share with you some things that I have been learning. Because I've been having conversations with people about it, I've decided to re-educate myself about it. I've, I've leaned back. I've taught about it a bunch of times, but quite honestly, I, there's always more to get in this. And so I've been reading a lot of other people's perspectives. I've been reading a lot of early church leaders on this. And one person in particular that I am going to just steal from shamelessly today is a guy named Sky Jathani. He's a pastor. He's a theologian. He's a professor in college who actually teaches college students about vocation. So what I'm sharing with you are some of the best things I've heard from him. And he would be the first to say, hey, nothing that he says is original. He's stealing it from others. He, he does a ton of reading early church fathers and, and the, kind of the Christian movement all throughout. And this is what he said that absolutely has changed my understanding and even the way that I have taught vocation or calling. The thing that he said that changes it all is that we have a tendency to think of calling as one thing that God is calling us to, or one path that we have to walk. 
But his point was, and this is what he's taken from early church fathers, there is not one path. There is not one thing. And when we are talking about calling, we're actually talking about multiple layers. And this is really good news, by the way. Because if we think of calling as one thing or one path that we're supposed to walk down, that God has to show us, then many of us find ourselves terrified that we're going to make a mistake, that we're going to somehow mishear him. And so many of us refuse to take a step before we clearly hear what God is saying, before we have our burning bush moment. The reality is, though, I only know of one person who had a burning bush call from God. And it wasn't me. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't you either. So there's not one thing that God calls us to. When we're talking about calling or vocation, we're actually talking about layers of things. And each layer hangs upon the one that comes before. And for our purposes this morning, I want to just focus on three layers of our calling. The first and without a doubt, the most important layer of our calling is one that is given to every single man, woman, and child who has ever had breath in their lungs throughout the history of mankind. Because every single one of us has the image of God. We are created in the image of God. And so every single one of us has been called to do life with God. That is the first and the most important calling that we have on our life. Our highest calling is to live in union with God. And this makes sense. If you begin to look at scripture, it is constantly calling. God is calling his people to do life with him, to be with him, to trust him, to follow him. As he led them through the wilderness, he was constantly manna every morning, quail at night, but don't leave any for the next day. Trust me, be with me, follow the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, just so you know that I am with you. The temple was created to be a tangible reminder that God was there in their midst. And so God has always been a a, a father God who enters into our reality and invites us to do life with him. But a lot of us actually invert this rather than saying, hey, I am created to be in relationship with God. So that's where I'm going to start. Instead, we think we need to do something in order to be valuable, in order to have purpose, in order to, you know, know how we're supposed to live, in order to find our identity. I've got to do stuff. The reality is your identity, your value, and your purpose all flow, all flow from your relationship with God. You don't earn it and earn a a right to have relationship with him. And that is, is the most important thing because to kind of loosely paraphrase uh, St. Augustine, he said, God created us for himself and we will be restless until we rest in him. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't recognize that the foundation of everything you do flows out of being with him, then nothing you do will ever satisfy And in fact, that's exactly the way he set it up. Remember those curses all the way in the Garden of of Eden back in Genesis chapter 3? He cursed the man and woman and their relationship with one another. He cursed uh, the woman in her act of childbearing and child rearing. Cursed the man in the work of his hands. 
that wasn't just being punitive. That was being gracious because God recognized that we are a people who have a tendency to find our identity, our value, and our purpose in other things, in our other relationships, in what we do. And in cursing those things and frustrating them, he was cutting a God-shaped hole out of every single one of our hearts that can only be filled by him. You were created for him. And until you rest in him, you will find yourself being restless and frustrated. So that's the first and the greatest layer of our calling. Every single person who has breath in their lungs is called to that. But there's a secondary layer for those of us who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and have recognized the invitation to relationship. Remember, the invitation was never pray a prayer. The invitation was follow me. Let's do life together. Learn from me. Be discipled by your proximity to me. And if you call yourself a Christ follower, then your, vo- your calling, your vocation as a Christ follower is to follow Jesus Christ. Not simply as your savior, but as your Lord. And following Jesus Christ means obeying his teachings. That's what following is, is obedience. It is a, a letting his life Reflect into your life where you doing what he did, you following what he teaches begins to shape the way that you do life. Jesus actually said, hey, listen, if you're my disciple, then you'll do what I say. And if you do, then you'll know the truth. And that truth will set you free. So everybody has a primary calling to do life with God. That's what we were created for. We have a secondary calling as Christ followers to follow him. And then this brings us now to our specific calling. And that's just a term I'm going to use to describe the things that God has uniquely given to each and every one of us, right? He has given you relationships. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a, a, a best friend. Maybe it's a teammate. He's given you relationships. He's given you work to do. You might be in a specific career path. You might be in a specific role. You might be retired and going, what do I do with this time? All of those things he's given you. He's given you a specific place to live and a sphere of influence of people, the eight to 15 people that he's placed around you. And in all of these things, I would suggest to you that although it seems at times that we have a lot of choice, there's a lot of the things that he has placed into your hands that you did not choose. Let me just give you a couple. None of us, chose to spend the last two weeks and and who knows how much longer in quarantine. None of us did. None of us would have chosen it, but here we are. My wife and I and any of you other parents did not choose to be homeschoolers, but we are and we're figuring it out imperfectly. My wife and I, we didn't choose our kids. Now, yes, we desired to have kids. We prayed to have kids, We, but, but we never chose who our children would be. We didn't choose their personality. We didn't choose their gender. But we got them. They're our kids. They're a whole lot like us, for better or for worse, right? They are our kids. You might say, well, okay, we didn't choose those things, but like, Eric, you're married. You chose your wife. And I would say, really? Did I? And I'm not suggesting to you that God chose her for me and and, and that like I didn't have any choice in the matter. Here's what I'm suggesting. I'm 42 years old, 42 years old, 40 year, 42 year old Eric Wayman did not choose Kathy Wayman. 
24-year-old Eric Wayman chose her. And my much younger, more beautiful, ages better wife chose 24-year-old Eric Wayman when she was much younger and more naive. And we thought we understood what marriage looked like. Fifteen years of marriage later, we have a newfound respect of what marriage looks like. It is wonderful, and it is the most difficult thing, except for parenting, that we have ever done. It is challenging. We're very different people. We didn't realize when we got married just how different we were. And that's both wonderful because we get to support one another with our strengths and to, to the other's weakness, but it also creates a tremendous amount of friction. And yet, in the midst of us waking up to, this is my spouse. She has been for the last 15 years. And for as long as I have breath in my lungs, she will continue to be my spouse because we have covenanted between one another and God. So we are in this. We're in it. And both of us get to choose one another. Both of us get to trust God. And here's what I would suggest to you. Many of the things that you find that God has given to you, the specific callings that he's entrusted into your hands are not things that you chose. Or if you did choose them, maybe you didn't know what it was you were saying yes to. But it's in the midst of those things that you didn't choose that God does his best work. It's where he shows you day in and day out that he is enough and that you were created to remain dependent upon him. And he gets to use you in your weakness to glorify himself because when you are weakest, that's when he gets the most glory. That's when he shows himself to be strongest. So we have a lot of things that God has placed in our hands, many of which we didn't choose. And I just want to read something that I, I ran across this week from a French theologian and pastor. Um, let's see, where is it at? Here we go. This is from a French theologian and pastor named Jacques Philippe. That's just a fun name from his book, Interior Freedom. And this is what he says. It is natural and easy to go along with pleasant situations that arise without our choosing them, right? I mean, it, it's not hard when it's fun. It's not hard when it's easy. It's not hard when we don't really have to worry about where our, our next meal is going to come from. So we're good with that. It becomes a problem, obviously, when things are unpleasant, when they go against us or make us suffer. But in order to become truly free, we are often called to choose to accept what we did not want. I'm going to read that line one more time. We are often called to choose to accept what we did not want. We find it difficult to do this because we feel a natural revulsion for situations that we can't control. Raise your hand if you like to be in control, right? Guilty. But the fact is that the situations that really make us grow are precisely those that we don't control. Like the one we find ourselves in right now, where we don't control when we're going to be able to meet again in person. Like uh, not being able to control whether or not our supermarket or any of the supermarkets around us have what we are looking for, like we're used to. Where we're not able to control what our businesses do and where our paychecks are going to come from, and all of those other things. I want you to think for just a moment about those words that he said. We're often called to choose to accept what we did not want, that which we can't control. 
And I think about how that, even Jesus, even our big brother who modeled for us how to live, even the Lord and Savior that we choose to follow and be discipled by, even he found himself holding on to callings that he would not have chosen. The biggest of which was, son, I want you to go to the cross and I want you to give your life for everybody to take care of their sins. Jesus didn't want to do it. I'm actually encouraged by that fact because there's a lot of things that, you know, it reminds me that he was human, that he wasn't just some supernatural being that never felt anything. He did not want to die. He didn't want to suffer because he knew how painful it would be. And yet, in the midst of crying out to the Father God, if there's any way we can do this otherwise, he ultimately submitted and said, yet not what I will, but what you will. I want to bring about your purpose and your plans, so have your way with me. Jesus modeled embracing that which he didn't choose and living out of it. And in the same way, we are called to embrace that which we didn't choose and to live out of it. And in the midst of it, God gets the glory. A couple more thoughts, and I'm going to have the worship team come up in just a couple of minutes. If you begin this conversation, if you, if you think that your identity, your value, your security flows out of your ability to do things, if you think it flows out of the job path that you, you pick, if you think it flows out of a relationship, you're mistaken. Our calling doesn't begin when we pick the college we're going to go to. Our calling doesn't begin when we begin a career path or get our first job. Our calling doesn't begin when we say I do to that special person. Our calling doesn't begin when we have children. Our calling begins when we recognize that God has called us to do life with him, regardless of what that is. And if we invert that, then we will never be satisfied. We will always, always find ourselves frustrated. We will always find that the things that we try to grab hold of cannot hold us up. And our foundations will constantly be shaken. I have news for you. All of the specific things that God has called you to hold on to, every single one of them will one day cease. You might find yourself married. One day you or your spouse is going to die and then the other will follow suit suit shortly. You might have kids in your house. You're exhausted and would love for them to take a break from being there for a little bit. But one day they won't be there and you won't be daily responsible for caring for them. One day you will retire. One day, you will need to figure out what am I going to do with my free time? And one day you won't have any more free time because God is going to invite you home. And if you find your identity, your security, your value in those things, your entire world will be shaken. So if there's one thing that I pray that you hear today from this, it's this. God has made you to do life with him, to be with him. And until you rest in him, nothing will be satisfying. Nothing will be secure. You will find yourself blown and tossed by every little wave that life throws at you. It's thrown a pretty big one. And some of us have been tossed hard. Some of us are still trying to get our footing. 
God has given each of you, each of us, very specific things to hold on to. And I'm grateful for it. But he has never called us to carry these things by ourselves. He invites us to carry them with him. And my encouragement to you is to continue to do that. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I just want to pray for us. Because I would imagine that right now there are some of us who would admit to ourselves, you know what? I have not been living out of my identity as a child of God. I have not been doing life with God. I've been trying to do life for him. I've flipped this whole script and I've been trying to find my identity from what I do, from how well I do it, from how many likes I get on a social media post, from what people say about me, from how much, how many cans uh, of soup and how many rolls of toilet paper I've been able to accumulate. That is my security. And I just want to remind us today, God is our security, not our stuff, not what we do. And so if you find yourself today just going, man, God, I've inverted it. Would you join me in praying? And if what I'm about to pray resonates with your heart, then I invite you to pray it with me in your own words, or you can even borrow my words. Father God, we love you. And we are a little bit shocked that you love us sometimes because we know how utterly unlovable we can be. Father God, we thank you that you made us in your image. I thank you that you were willing to use me. I thank you that you choose to do life with me, that you are not an absentee landlord that wound up this world and then just wandered off to watch it spin out of control. I thank you that although you are holy and you stand above our circumstances, you enter into this life with us as our loving father. And you walk with us. So Father, would you give us the ability to hear your voice as we hold up these things that you have entrusted to us to carry? Would you hold them with us? Would you carry them with us because we choose to carry them with you? Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to die for us so that we could be restored back into relationship with our Father. And I pray that you would help us to be a people that obey you. Today, we choose to follow. Today, again, we recommit ourselves to obeying and following you as our Lord, not just our Savior. And Holy Spirit, holy moly, do we need you. We need you, we need you so, so much. Because the weight of the things that we have been entrusted with is too great for our shoulders alone. So we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you go ahead of us to prepare the way. We thank you that you come behind us to shore up our insufficiencies. And we thank you that in everything you are with us. We pray that we would remain with you, with our eyes firmly fixed on you. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Or should I say, yeehaw, right? Uh, you know what? I, one of the things that God has given each of us is to worship in country western fashion today. That's and right. So Amen. we are grateful for that. Um, and I just want you to know that uh, we are aware that many of you right now are really, really concerned. 
In fact, we've had several people in our church just this week in the hospital. None of them have coronavirus. They were there because of anxiety. They were there because of the effects of fear. And I simply want to remind you that we will get through this. We don't know how long it'll take. We're not sure when we'll be able to gather together, but we are still together. And here's the most important thing for us to remember. We'll get through this because he is with us. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, the coronavirus isn't going to get the last word. No shutdown, no quarantine, no financial hardship, no stock market crash is going to get the last word. God does. He is our holy father. He stands above it. And yet he is with us in it as well. And so let's lean on him. I love you very much. I'm grateful that we are family. And I look forward to getting together with you again next week. Have a wonderful week.